Hey everyone, we've got a new segment here for you on the ED ECMO podcast. This is a segment where we're going to go ahead and do a critical analysis of the evidence for ECMO, and we're going to call that Evidecmo. Good morning, ED ECMO! This is Zach Schreiner. I'm here with Dr. Joe Belezzo. Dr. Ekmo. <laughs> so that's my shout out to Robin Williams, the late great. Today we are doing a little bit something different. We're talking about literature. Um, the people who are listening here, most likely you're an ECMO enthusiast. You are probably an early adopter. You are probably the person that hears about this person that gets uh, 60 minutes of chest compressions, walks out of the hospital because they got put on ECMO and says, that is the coolest thing I've ever heard. But that's not what today is about. Today is about critical analysis. This is about rethinking of what we know about ECMO. We are not going to use the N of one argument anymore. We are going to use the literature. So that when you're talking to the consultant, when you are thinking about putting someone on the pump, you understand, does this voodoo work or not? So we got two trials today. We're going to talk about a trial out of Lancet, 2008 and a trial out of recess just this year and we're going to go through many more trials in the future so that you guys understand the literature our surrounding ECMO. All right, first trial, Joe. 2008, Chen, Lancet, what happened? Trial number one is a uh, study that compared ECMO versus non-ECMO or ECPR versus non-ECPR in the in-house arrest, in the in-hospital arrest. Uh, this was a single-center trial done over three years, 975 patients, 172 of which met inclusion criterion, conventional CPR, 113 patients, and ECPR, 59. All right, so this, this trial, this is the Taiwanese group. This mm. is where actually the real Dr. ECMO lives, the patient place where over the years a lot of great stuff has come out of Taiwan, and, and they've really been leading the charge in, in a lot of ways. So they suffer from the same thing that a lot of us do, and that is that we choose patients to put on eCPR that are better. They're less likely to die in the beginning. They have um, lower premorbid condition. All these things that we know are confounding factors. And they said, well, what are we going to do with that? How are we going to compare these two groups? And so what they used is something called propensity scores. So they case matched. They took patients and they said, okay, we're going to take somebody with VTAC that's within this age range, age range with this CPR duration. Uh, and this quality, and we're going to compare it to the same type of patient that did not get eCPR. So what you're talking about is taking selection bias and doing everything you can to lower that selection bias when you're comparing these cases. Absolutely. So this does not in any way eliminate selection bias, right? We need randomized control trial. And I know we say this over and over again, but as you read the literature, you understand more and more we really need something that randomizes to yes or no to definitively prove eCPR. But granted with what they have, they took these groups and they tried to compare them and they showed a pretty substantial benefit. They showed 25% or 24% correction survived a discharge with CPC 1 or 2 if you got eCPR and 11% if you got conventional chest compression. Now CPC 1 and 2, uh, there's a, this is on a scale of 5, CPC 1 and 2 are generally considered uh, good neurologic outcomes. Absolutely. So some of the problems with this study. They, the first interesting thing was that this was resident-run. These are, these are eCPR teams that consist of a senior resident, a junior resident, and so the effect on that is, is interesting. I mean, I, we would never do that at Sharp, but... Yeah, senior resident is the leader of their uh, cannulation team. That's pretty remarkable. 
So given the fact that they have these teams, they had a discrepancy on when they got eCPR. So they obviously were making choices on which patient to put on it and which patient not to put on it. And overnight, way fewer patients got put on eCPR. Potentially injecting more bias. Yeah. And the VFib, VTAC, with the total comers was much biased towards EPR, eCPR, which we expect, but they eliminated that variable. In the propensity analysis. When they did the case matching, exactly. Right, but there was one more issue, right? And that's where the patient received eCPR. And so uh, if you look at the numbers, if you're in the emergency department or you're in the ward, you had a higher chance of being put into the non-eCPR arm. However, if you were in the operating room or the ICU, you end up in the eCPR arm. Uh, again, in theory, that should be taken care of in the propensity analysis, but they did not match for location on the propensity. Yeah, and you can't match for everything. You do what you can. And so they did what they can, but we need to understand that there's all kinds of variables here. When I, when Joe and I see somebody in the ER, just by looking at them, we're making a bias, right? We, we can look at the patient and say, yeah, no, they're not getting any cannulas versus someone that maybe we really want to go full charge on. So they controlled for some of the big variables. They did this well, but we have to understand there's all kinds of other variables that probably were contributory. And one of the things that I think is interesting here is the amount of patients that actually got advanced interventions in the eCPR group. So 44% of the patients got revascularized in the eCPR group versus only 6% in the conventional group. 8.5% got a heart transplant and 5% got an LVAD. So what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that, that eCPR doesn't work or that it's not beneficial. It just means that there's probably a big bridging effect. And so in hospitals that don't have these capabilities, then you're talking about losing substantial amount of the benefit that eCPR gives. Um, but in, patient, in hospitals that do have these interventions, it just shows that eCPR can act as a bridge to really have survival benefit. Okay, so bottom line in this study, survival to hospital discharge in unmatched patients, 28% uh, of the eCPR patients survived to hospital discharge, 12.3% in conventional. And then if you matched them, 32.6% in eCPR cohorts and 17.4% in conventional CPR, implying a, a significant improvement in outcomes based on patients who are getting eCPR. Totally agree. Okay, so bottom line of this study is we have to understand that there's bias here, and we have to understand that this is not a perfect study. But given those two, those two biases, we must understand that there was some, a significant improvement in survival when you had in-hospital cardiac arrest that got eCPR. Okay, so that's in-hospital cardiac arrest. Let's now talk about out-of-hospital arrest. So the Save J study. This is a big group out of Japan. Ken Nagao, uh, the started this charge 10 years, 14 years ago, and we'll talk about that study, I'm sure, at a future episode. But this is the culmination of that. There are now 46 hospitals that are included in the Save J group. 26 of them do eCPR. 20 of them do not do eCPR. And they decided to compare these two different hospitals, different groups, different people, different capabilities, and say, okay, what about the patients that went to the hospitals that got eCPR versus the hospitals that did not? The other factor involved in this study is that when you got eCPR, you got an intraaortic pump and you got therapeutic hypothermia. Both are going to be big problems with this trial. But the non 
eCPR patients didn't necessarily receive either of those two treatments. Exactly. So there's a bundle therapy that's going on here that may be injecting some bias as well. So this was a study they took out of hospital cardiac arrest. They, they included patients that had less than a 45-minute downtime that had, did not have ROSC upon presentation to the ER. They excluded the usual conditions, less than 20, greater than 75. They did not include non-cardiac origin. They did not include hypothermia or a poor pre-arrest condition. Okay, and then what they were looking for was favorable outcomes, patient-oriented outcomes, meaning good neurologic function, CPC 1 and 2, at 1 month and 6 months post-arrest. And Japan uh, is definitely one of the places where you have to understand a little bit about the culture, not saying that I totally do. But one of the things in Japan is that they do not pronounce in the field. They transport essentially everyone. And so the outcomes here look very poor for the conventional group. Only 1.5% of patients survived to one month uh, when they got conventional chest compressions. And so that, that is a factor here. The other things that we that are kind of interesting, and I have no idea why this is, Joe, but for some reason, both in the CPR group and the eCPR group, 90% of them were male. <laughs> I don't think their women die. <laughs> I guess not. So interesting. There was also very low, there was only 75% of them were witnessed arrest, and only about 50% of these patients got bystander CPR. So these are, these are dead, dead people. Yeah, these are patients we would never even transport here in the States, right? Right, and they're mm. getting eCPR. Wow. So and about took about 30 minutes for them to get from the 911 call to hospital arrival. Mm. All right, so with all of those problems, they showed that CPC 1 and 2 scores, if you got eCPR, is about 12.5% and about 1.5% survival at one month. And that was statistically significant. That's a tenfold increase in outcome. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. And then at the six-month uh, measurement, they had 11.2% versus 2.6%. Also, uh, quite impressive. Yep. All right, so what are, some, what are some problems here, Joe? Okay, so... Two main problems that I see with this study. Number one is that they used a bundled approach. The patients who received eCPR also received targeted te temperature management or therapeutic hypothermia and an intraortic balloon pump, whereas patients who received conventional CPR may have received none. And so you don't know then. You don't know which was the, the, the variable that actually benefited the patient. You don't know if it was the, the, the cooling of the patient, you don't know if it was the balloon pump, you don't know if it was the eCPR, or probably and most likely a combination of all three of those. And then secondarily, if you're at a center where you can do eCPR, you're probably also at a center that is a little more advanced. Uh, remember that in this study, they either sent you to an eCPR center where you got eCPR, or they sent you to a center that didn't do eCPR at all. So it wasn't like you were at one facility and then they randomized you to either one of those arms. You either went to a center that did it or a center that didn't. And the problem I see with that is that a center that didn't may just not be as advanced in taking care of patients and critically ill patients as somebody who was taken to a center that has those capabilities. So Joe, you and I know very well that six years ago when we were at Sharp, we did crappy arrests. People died. Not that we didn't care, but I mean, we had so much more enthusiasm after we started doing ECMO. We had so many other therapies that helped. And so we know that that, that potentially has a big factor in the study. Yeah, I think what you're saying is that over the course of years as you're doing CPR on folks uh, and you're not at an eCPR center, things get, tend to get a little bit rote. You tend to do your codes in a certain way, and they tend to be, unfortunately, most of them have bad outcomes. Then as you start to do eCPR and you start to see patients awaken, 
after they've been put on bypass, you start to then go back and look at every single component of your resuscitation from the time the patient hits the door. So inherently, the quality of your entire resuscitation from the moment they hit the door to the time they either get return of spontaneous circulation or get put on pump is going to be improved as you go back and do that. So the question then is, are the centers that are doing eCPR, are they just doing a damn better job of resuscitating their patients than the ones who don't? Okay. So take-home point for this trial, we know that around 90% of the patients who got the bundle got therapeutic hypothermia and intraaric bloom pump in eCPR, only around 55% in the non-eCPR. Was that a huge deal? Potentially, it was. Now, the tenfold factor in uh, in survival benefit, I am leaning towards the fact that eCPR had a real benefit here, but again, not proven, only suggested. And so um, with these out-of-hospital cardiac arrest study and an in-hospital cardiac arrest study, we see benefit in both of them. Okay. So bottom line here, both of these studies are prospective studies. They're not randomized controlled trials. Study number one was a study that looked at CPR traditional CPR versus eCPR for in-house cardiac arrest. And our opinion, ED ECMO opinion, is that this study is a reasonable study given the data that they had at their disposal and the fact that they did a propensity analysis to try to match things up. Study number two was a study in Japan looking at the out-of-hospital cardiac arrest and trying to compare apples to apples, although I don't think, neither of us think that the apples were well compared. Regardless, still a a study that had a lot of patients, pretty well done study, and again, gives us some evidence that suggests that eCPR is beneficial over traditional cardiac arrest care. All right, that's great, Joe. All right, so we're going to keep taking journal articles. We're going to pull the best ones out. We're going to pull out some of the negative articles, too. We're going to criticize ECMO. We're going to say, does this work? And hopefully you will enjoy listening to this because I think this is immensely important for us to move forward with ECMO and hopefully get an eventual randomized control trial. 